first of all, you're not at fault for what is happening to you, and you don't deserve what happens to you, like this abuse, and it's not God's will that you experience it. Hi, listeners. Sarah Purley here. I just want to say that when I proposed doing this podcast to the Bishop's Subcommittee for the Promotion and Defense of Marriage, I had visions of doing light, fluffy pieces about food fights and candlelit dinners. I did not anticipate that two of the very first episodes I would complete would be on annulments and domestic abuse. But that's how it happened, and I have to chalk that up to God's providence. I promise that we are going to have positive, uplifting stories on Made for Love. I promise. But this one isn't it. And probably it's not one to listen to with kids. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB about how real people live out the call to love. Today we're talking about domestic abuse. We'll hear the story of one woman's abusive marriage and another's abusive childhood, and hear from a priest and a laywoman who are dedicated to preventing and ending abuse. The more you find out about abusive relationships, the more consistent my story is with that. Um, The abuser finds their way to kind of get their hooks into you and just break you down and and bring you onto their side. This is Denise, and she agreed to share what happened in her first marriage in the hopes that it will help someone else. I was just shy of my 20th birthday, um, had recently moved back to town, and Met him the first day that I was back in town. He was working for the builder that built my parents' house. I think what attracted me to him was that he was kind of very spontaneous and he was not afraid to show emotion. Um, But those are qualities that I later learned were not so good either. Early on, there were signs that this man, whom we're going to call Joe, was not the most thoughtful. I got stood up on the second date, (laughs) but, you know, I thought, okay, this is a one-time deal. You know, he apologized and said, oh, that won't happen again, but that was actually a um, kind of a pattern of how things went. Denise and Joe had good times, of course. And when things were... Good. We had some good. We had good times. He and I were complete opposites, but when it clicked, we could complement each other. So he was the the big picture guy, and he could see all the big things, but I was the detail person. And he was definitely um, supportive of me going to school. You know, he was spontaneous, and so we would could go out and have fun, and and that was something that that drew me to him. Denise's friends were all getting married, and she wanted to join the married club, too. During marriage prep with the deacon at church, Denise gave the answers she knew she was supposed to give. As the wedding date drew near, Denise started to have hesitations, but she couldn't bring herself to call it off. So there was certainly an issue of pride, and I can't, you know, admit that I was wrong about this guy. And 
a lot of money had already been put out for the reception. And I thought that would just kind of compound the, the disappointment by, you know, they had, quote, unquote, wasted all of this money. You don't get that back. I've read stories since where people made that decision at the very end and went through with the reception and had a big party and didn't invite the ex-spouse or, you know, um, the fiancé. But that just wasn't where I was. my head was at at the time. When she met Joe at the altar, Denise could tell that he'd already been drinking. After a short honeymoon and getting back to work, Denise came home to find Joe high on cocaine and newly unemployed. Denise took up the slack. From the outside, it's easy to see that this marriage was unhealthy. When you're in the middle of crazy, you don't realize how crazy things are. It's only, you know, when you get out and step back that you can see what was happening. Denise and Joe had four children, and the kids were the main motivation for Denise to stay in the marriage. I stayed because I didn't want my kids to have to split holidays between his house and my house, and I thought a lot of that was disruptive. I was also concerned that you know, he was an alcoholic and that if he'd be drinking when he had custody, that they would be in danger. So it was actually, I felt, to some degree, it was safer to be with him and he could be down in the basement drinking, and I knew where the kids were and I knew where he was. They tried going to counseling, but Joe seemed to see this as some kind of game. He didn't want to be healthy but Denise wanted to make it work. I went into marriage taking the vows seriously, and I always thought that if I loved him enough, it, we could make a go of this thing. And as his alcoholism progressed, he became more and more of a bully. He was always and more um, verbally abusive. He would throw something or punch a hole in the wall if, if he didn't think um, an argument was going his way. Joe's abuse started to ramp up. Towards the end, he was getting more physically abusive. Never directly hit me, and I, you know, I think if he had, we all hear about the physical abuse, and I think if he had hit me at some point earlier, I would have left. But no one talks about the emotional and the verbal stuff. But towards the end, he started getting even more physical. He took our good china, wedding china, and started tossing the plates off the back deck just to get me upset so that he could get his way about something. But I remember standing in the kitchen, and he threw something that went whizzing right by my ear. And he was a very good marksman as well. And, you know, he said to the counselor, well, I didn't hit her, you know. I could have if I wanted to, but I didn't. Denise knew that the time had come to get safe. I had never prayed so hard. I was praying the Psalms. There were, I can't think of them now, but there were a couple, you know, that were talking about strength and grace and, and getting through. And, you know, I just kept praying for strength to help me do what I needed to do and to make the right decisions. Denise got a protective order from the court, and she and the children attended the county's domestic violence program. The kids and I started attending counseling at the domestic violence shelter. We were there for a while through my separation and, and divorce, and then continued to have counseling at another agency for the two younger ones as well. 
It took Denise a while to process what had happened. It took me being away from him for about four months before I could really see, kind of get a, a different perspective on what was happening. The kids were still having visitation on a weekly basis. For them, at that point, they were still kind of torn because all they were seeing was fun dad that they got to play with for a couple of hours. But as they've matured, they've also seen him in a different light as well. After 27 years with Joe, Denise filed for a divorce. Then she petitioned for an annulment. My biography ended up being 22 pages. So there was a lot of reflection going on as I was writing it. And it just really helped me to see issues of how I got into the situation to begin with, uh, how the situation progressed, ways I saw like different ways that I might have handled things differently. So I just had better perspective on the whole process. Denise credits many women whom she calls her angels for her being safe today. They came to her aid at crucial moments in her story. We're going to shift now to a woman who has made responding to domestic abuse in a faithful Catholic way her life's work. So I'm Sharon O'Brien. I'm the director of Catholics for Family Peace Education and Research Initiative, and we are in the National Catholic School of Social Service in their Consortium for Catholic Social Teaching at the Catholic University of America. Sharon became passionate about helping women and men in abusive situations at an early age. I've been puzzled by this since I was in eighth grade. Puzzled, Sharon says, because abuse seemed so obviously wrong, and yet she knew it was happening in Catholic families and that no one was talking about it. When I give speeches, generally the first thing people say to me is, when did the Catholic Church change its mind about domestic abuse? And my heart just sinks. And, and I say, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like we've changed our mind. It's just that, I mean, what can I say? You know, we didn't have the courage. We didn't have the words. We didn't have the paradigm. Hopefully this is changing with organizations like Catholics for Family Peace, programs like Women Healing the Wounds by the National Council of Catholic Women, and priests like Father Chuck. My name is Charles Dom. I am a Dominican priest in Chicago and I am the Director of Domestic Violence Outreach for the Archdiocese of Chicago. He's the man you heard in the intro to this episode, emphasizing that abuse is not the survivor's fault. I was the pastor of a large inner-city Mexican immigrant parish in Chicago. After a few years, I hired a pastoral counselor, and one day she told me, you know, Father, almost all my clients are women, and most of them are victims of domestic violence. And I had no idea, and I knew many of those women. So she really opened my eyes, and I asked her to teach me about domestic violence, how I could recognize it, and how best to respond to it. Father Chuck travels around to different parishes to speak about domestic violence. I had a priest say to me one time after preaching at eight masses on a Sunday, do you always get applause when you preach? And I said, no, I only get applause when I preach on domestic violence because people are so happy that somebody is finally addressing it. Pope Francis has written about the need for pastoral ministers to be trained to deal with situations of domestic abuse. 
He writes in Amoris Laetitia, number 204, Good pastoral training is important, especially in light of particular emergency situations arising from cases of domestic violence and sexual abuse. And the bishops of the church in the U.S. issued a statement in 1992 about domestic violence and reaffirmed it in 2002. It's called, When I Call for Help. I asked Father Luke Ballman from our office for Clergy Consecrated Life and Vocations to read this part. As pastors of the Catholic Church in the United States, we state as clearly and strongly as we can that violence against women inside or outside the home is never justified. Violence in any form, physical, sexual, psychological, or verbal, is sinful. Often it is a crime as well. We have called for a moral revolution to replace a culture of violence. We acknowledge that violence has many forms, many causes, and many victims, men as well as women. It's naive to think that domestic abuse is not happening in Catholic families. You won't believe how many people say, oh, we don't have that in our parish. And I'm going, we were people in the pews, and nobody in that parish knew we lived a life of domestic violence all the time. This is Kathy Bonner, a childhood survivor of domestic violence. I grew up with a stepfather who was not a nice person, and he definitely was on a rampage all of the time. And you live in fear. You wonder as a child, what's going to happen next? What will explode, or what will he do to you, or what will he do to your mother? I watched him chasing her out of the house with an iron frying pan many times, and because I was not his, he dragged me out with her. Many times we had to escape and sleep on the floor of my step-grandmother's store. For a child, this situation feels hopeless. You didn't think that anything would ever change. You just live in a feeling of constant dread. And back then, we're, of course, told not to talk about anything that happened in the house. And there weren't places to go back then. There weren't shelters. It wasn't talked about on the media. All you knew was you felt like you just wanted to die because you didn't think it would ever change. Now, Kathy helps to develop resources for people in abusive relationships. She is part of the National Council for Catholic Women, and they created a 52-page resource called Women Healing the Wounds that's available for free on their website. I really feel lucky now. I feel lucky that I'm called to create this awareness and help others realize that domestic violence is against the Word of God. And one of the goals is to educate the people in the pews and provide them with everyday tools to spread the word. Because we hear the gospel, we know the bishops spoke out about it, but there's areas where we as women especially can get awareness and information out that isn't the typical path. Kathy highlights the damage that psychological abuse does to a person. My stepfather told me every day of my life that I was dumb, stupid, and ugly, and no one would ever want me. And you grew up believing that and seeing the horror in a marriage. And as a child, when I would go to bed at night, 
my prayer would be that my stepfather would die because I thought that was the only way it would possibly stop. It's important to be aware that abuse doesn't usually start with a physical assault and that psychological abuse can be actually more difficult to recover from. There are other kinds of abuse too, verbal abuse, threats, economic control, and social control. Sometimes people don't even realize what's happening, which is why raising awareness is so important. The USCCB puts out cards with the number of the domestic violence hotline and potential signs of abusive relationships. These can be placed in church restrooms. I think the one thing a layperson could do is to talk to their pastor about posting this resource card from the bishop's office. It's called Someone You Know May Be in an Abusive Relationship. If a layperson were to be in charge of keeping this and a flyer from our office in all of the restrooms, that would be so helpful. In case you think that a little card won't make a difference, Sharon tells us this story about a mother of seven, a daily communicant. She had been experiencing abuse for years, never hearing that it was wrong. And lo and behold, someone had placed this in the, in the uh, church restroom. And it was the first time she realized that we care about domestic abuse and that it's wrong. It was like, oh my goodness, she read this sign. It's a sign of abuse if her partner calls her names, isolates her, monitors where she goes, all these things. And she said, well, that's, that's what happens to me. I mean, that's been going on for a long time. And it was this one card that was you know, the crack that helped her. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Catholic Church became known for a compassionate response to domestic abuse? To get there, we need to raise awareness and to pay attention. So that when a person answers a phone at a parish, they don't say, oh, we don't deal with this, you'll have to go someplace else. Suffering domestic abuse can really challenge a person's relationship with God. And it's not your fault. And it's not God's fault. You didn't decide to marry an abusive person. You married somebody who you thought was going to love and honor you, and it didn't turn out that way. So I think we could say that maybe you made a mistake or maybe he was hiding it, and so it was easy for you to make a mistake because you didn't see it. The issue is not so much about blaming anybody, God or yourself, or it's how are you going to resolve this for yourself? so that you can live in peace and in love and and safety. And the fact of the matter is, when we're in pain ourselves, it is hard to appreciate God's blessings, to, to even see God's blessings when we're in so much pain. God doesn't want us to be in pain. Most people are now safe. I mean, if they grew up in a violent home, they're now safe. But that pain, I mean, what are you gonna do with all that pain? I say pray and check out a 12-step recovery program. Sharon recommends the 12-step group called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, which she says is effective even if there wasn't alcoholism in your family, and it focuses on trauma recovery. Parish priests have an important role to play for survivors. A priest could actually talk about it never using the words domestic abuse. They could flip it. I mean, I use the example that nutritionists have given up on talking about all the bad foods we shouldn't eat. (laughs) Because for one thing, it doesn't help us. They talk about all the good foods we should eat and all the ways, all the wonderful ways we can make them delicious and how exercise can be fun. (laughs) And so 
clergy could do the same thing talking about marriage, talking about how a marriage is a covenant and what that means. It's, it's not this contract. It's not splitting things down the middle. And I'll, I'll do this and you'll do that. It's much more than that. And that love and respect and recognizing that we're each made in the image of God. You know, so if clergy were to talk about that and say, you know, conclude those remarks by saying, if this is not happening in your relationship, there's an opportunity to to make it happen. And the laity are really the boots on the ground who can learn to identify situations of abuse and provide help. The one thing our friends could, could do is to pray every day for all those harmed by domestic abuse because it opens it opens your heart to what you might do. You can also keep the number for the domestic violence hotline handy. You can store it in your phone right now. one 800 799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. So it's 7233. So it's 1-800-799-SAFE. And there's one more vital point that we want to make in this podcast episode. And that is that no one is ever expected to stay in an abusive situation. If you have some kind of mystical experience in which God asks you personally to stay, you can talk to your spiritual director about that. But for the rest of us, Abuse is not a cross that God gives anyone to be carried. You know, if, if you reach out and somebody says, this is your cross to bear, the cross might be the realization that the marriage isn't what you thought it was. You know, it's the, it's the grief over that. The cross is figuring out how to become safe for yourself and your children. That's the cross. The cross is not, oh, I have to endure this. What Catholic faithful are called to do along with all of these practical things, is to assure women and men in situations of abuse that God cares for them and loves them, and that in Jesus Christ, God suffers with them. He is not unmoved. When Jesus was being scourged, uh, tortured basically, and then hung on a cross, uh, he didn't blame God for that. I mean, God was not responsible for that. And I think that when things happen to us that are unfair, unjust, and very hurtful, we don't blame God. We blame sin and the world and evil. And um, that's what we have to fight. We have to protect ourselves against it and fight against it. And I'm going to post a bunch of links on the blog at marriageuniqueforareason.org. That can be helpful. Did you put that domestic violence hotline number in your phone yet? It's 1-800-799-7233. We're going to end on a happy note as Denise from the first segment of the show shares about her second marriage. We uh, are perfect for each other. I, w- I was looking for somebody who was could appreciate my spirituality and my involvement in church. I I've been in the choir for 20-some years. I've taught religious ed for five years. Um, you know, I'm in church a good bit. And Carl is just as involved in, in his own parish as I was in mine. And we both have large families. He has five kids. I have four. So at that point, when you have that many to begin with, what's a few more? And he's just a really hands-on, involved kind of dad, which is a wonderful role model for my kids. Thank you to Father Chuck Dom. Denise, Kathy Bonner, and Dr. Sharon O'Brien. God bless. 
If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.